Welcome to the Red Card Podcast. My name is Dean. And I'm Ben. Ben, we've got an apology to make on the second podcast, mate. Because uh, we, we, we started off really well. <laughs> what, what, what did we do last week for 20 minutes? Uh, we... we talked about a certain Spanish manager, uh, the current Villarreal manager, uh, looking like he was going to join Newcastle, I believe. Still current. Still current Villarreal <laughs> manager. Um, I think we spoke about it for 20 minutes. We went into a lot of detail. We said how good a signing it was going to be. And then the next thing you know, what happens, Ben? He uh, turns the job down and they end up giving it to uh, Eddie Howe. I think we mentioned Eddie Howe, didn't we? Like, I, I, think I think he was on the list. Yeah, I think we spoke about it. He was one of the like managers that had been touted for the job. But then also we, we sort of spoke about how Emery was going to be this huge, like, you know, almost skipping the Eddie Howe step. And now they've gone straight for the Eddie Howe step. So I don't really know what to think anymore. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. On one hand, you think he was manager at Bournemouth. They conceded record numbers of goals when they were in the Premiership. Uh, so you think that's a sort of negative against him when Newcastle are sort of really in bad form. But then you also think he's the guy that took Bournemouth from League Two all the way up to the Premiership. He's uh Yeah, but he, I have this really well, didn't he? I have this secret thing that I think you just hate Bournemouth because you also don't like Aaron Ramsdale, do you? Before he's played a bit well for Arsenal, you thought he was awful because he got yeah, relegated yeah. with a few teams, including Bournemouth. Yeah, I was uh, no, never uh, Aaron Ramsdale's biggest fan. Didn't didn't particularly rate him. I think he uh, he was at Sheffield United, he got relegated. He was at yeah. uh, Bournemouth, he got relegated. I think he was at AFC Wimbledon and he stayed up by the skin of his teeth. I think he, mm-hmm. before that, he'd, he'd been relegated with three or four teams in, a, uh, in three or four seasons and managed one season where he escaped relegation by, by the skin yeah. of his teeth. So, um, but, uh, you know, Fair play. Uh, since he's coming for Leno at Arsenal, I think he's been yeah. really good for him. He's, he's done really well. Anyway, so it's not a hatred for for all things Bournemouth then. So I think I think the Eddie Howe thing is is a strange one because it's kind of the expected step, isn't it? It's for him, and I think I can't remember if we mentioned this last week or if I just texted it or whatever it was. I feel like for Eddie Howe now, there's only there's two things that will happen. He'll either be that stepping stone and they'll go out and they'll get a Emery or, you know, somebody else or like a, a Favre or whoever it is in, like, in two years' time once he's settled the team down, maybe. So he either is that and he's a stepping stone and a scapegoat almost like, oh, we didn't achieve anything in the first couple of years because we only had Eddie Howe. But it's either that or it's going to be a case that this is like his step up because everyone was touting him as like maybe an England manager, maybe a United manager. So maybe it's a step up for him and he can prove himself. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look at the the difference in club sizes between Bournemouth and Newcastle, it's, it's definitely a massive step up for him. Mm. Um, I think he he's a pretty good appointment for them. Um, I think it remains to be seen who he who he gets in uh, come yeah. January. Um, it's it's all well and good having as much money as Newcastle have, um, but if you've got a manager that perhaps isn't the most appealing to play for 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 the type of players they want, then there's that possible issue so um he it, could make some great signings uh, you know things a little bit yeah. sort of out of left field but i just don't see the sort of the, the top top name players coming over to newcastle to play for him so i think it's interesting isn't it because emery i think we said last week was at people like psg um 
Sevilla and then Villarreal. And then um, there was, I think there was, well, there was a, a small London team in there at one point, <laughs> I think. Um, I think they're based just, just near Tottenham. Um, but I think the interesting thing will be is whether he goes back and finds other players, Eddie Howe. Because we spoke last week, I think, about Emery going back to Villarreal, for example, and getting someone like Etienne Capoue. I think you said Paul yeah. Torres, for example. Yeah. Um, Eddie Howe can't really do that now because Bournemouth are obviously not good enough. And if yeah. he does go out and get a Dom Solanke, it's not going to be any good because he's not, you know, you already look at, uh, um, at Newcastle and their players are already better than yeah. what Bournemouth have. So he's not going to go back for them. Yeah. Okay. And I think, yeah. you, I mean, you look at sort of names out there. You probably now look at a player like Tarkovsky um, yeah. from Burnley, like a Ross Barkley from Chelsea, maybe. Um, who else would we be looking at? Lingard, maybe, from Lingard, United. Yeah. So yeah. You, you may be looking at those sort of players now as opposed to uh, an Etienne Capu, who, to be fair, they're probably on the same level. But, yeah. um, I think we, we spoke about last week. We said Newcastle's defence isn't their massive problem. It's, it's addressing that midfield, which which I think you went through, John Joe Shelby and <laughs> the Longstaff brothers. There's not uh, there's not yeah. a lot to write home about there, is there? I mean, you, you, you wouldn't fancy... If you were a manager of another club coming into Newcastle and, and taking any of their midfield players, uh, yeah, it just uh, yeah, I'm sure individually they're pretty good players. I just don't see them uh, being a being a force in that that yeah. area of the field. And and especially if you think they so they bought the club for three hundred million. They're billionaires basically. I mean they're they're three hundred billionaires. So the number is numbers that I can't even comprehend. Although I'm rubbish at math, so like two plus five is a bit of a struggle for me sometimes. But you basically look at like what they're expecting. And I think if they say to Eddie Howe, we're expecting you to win the league in three years, then he's out next year because there's no way he reaches Champions League football next year, which is probably their next goal. In my opinion, it should be try and battle for Europa League and then FA Cup in the next, in the next three seasons. I think, I think when they came up, when they, sorry, when they came up, when they took over Newcastle, They, they said they've got a bit of a, a, like a ten year plan, so they I think they're not looking at like winning the Premiership for the like mm. the next ten years. That's yeah. and I think that's that's probably sensible. You, you come in, you, you you buy a club that have struggled massively over the last few years, have had very little investment from Mike mm. Ashley and, and and the previous regime. You can't be expecting to win the league the following season, no matter how much money you throw at it. So do you well, think I kind think, of? Um, I, I was just thinking though. Do you think it's a bit like? This, it's been a, a very hard shock for them that they came in, they were like, we've got money. And in, in football, if you have money, you get success, right? And they've come in and they've gone, we want Emery. And then Emery doesn't want them. And then uh, who is the other chap who was, at, um, who, who was at Roma? Fonseca. Fonseca. They were like, we want Fonseca. They had like three interviews with him. Maybe. I mean, Fonseca can't be that bad a manager, but they also said no. Yeah. Um, is this like directing like a shock to their system? Possibly. I mean, you, you just don't know. They, they Emery and, and Fonseca and, and the Newcastle owners now, they probably, they've got their own reasons for for deciding on um, Eddie Howe. <coughs> excuse yeah. me. And, um, and and Emery's got his own reasons for for turning them down. That's basically what all the reports were uh, were saying that he um, he yeah. rejected rejected them. Yeah, I think, like I said, Eddie, Eddie Howe's a good appointment for Newcastle. I, I was surprised, uh, mm. as I didn't think he was sort of the, the first name on, on the list, uh, yeah. on the favourites to take the position. 
but you know, uh, if, if Newcastle fans are anything, they are patient. They've been through a lot over yeah, the yeah. years, um, so I'm sure they'll they'll get behind him and um, and yeah, I, hopefully I'm, everyone has a soft spot for Newcastle, don't they? So hopefully they'll they'll start doing something uh, um, going forward. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too sure that I've got a soft spot for Newcastle. <laughs> um, but, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll go with that, if that's what you want to think. Everyone's but, second favourite club, or so I'm told, I think, isn't it? It's every Man City fan's second favourite club now, <laughs> isn't it? But um, So I wanted to just go over with you. Um, there was a derby match on Saturday. I don't know if you caught any of it, mate, but um, United versus City happened 13 days, I think it was, after United got stuffed by... Liverpool at Old Trafford. They didn't get stuffed by City, but God, was it boring to watch just City playing around them for 90 minutes. Do you, do you know what? It, it, in many ways, it was worse than the Liverpool result. Um, mm. It wasn't even competitive. There, you know, yeah. And uh, we, could, we could talk about this for, for over an hour. I could uh, go on a rant about how how yeah. badly everything was, you know, how uh, he set the team up in such a way that he just wanted to avoid, in my opinion, he wanted to avoid losing 5-0 again because I don't think yeah. he would have survived it. I think he was happy to, to, to lose 2-0, which is shocking for a, for a Man United fan to say and, and for, a, uh, for a Man United fan to, to think. Yeah. Um, I think he he got the team selection wrong. I think he's playing players that are woefully out of form. Harry Maguire mm-hmm. and Luke Shaw were absolutely diabolically bad. Yep. Um, I think Fred and McTominay were were run rings around. They were scared. They were they weren't showing for the ball in midfield. Do you know, do you know how I know you're really angry now? <laughs> this, this is how I know that you're really angry about United. You just said Fred and McTominay rather than McFred. And yeah. I think yeah. I think that goes to show that actually for the last maybe what two months United fans have seen this as kind of like okay there's a blip Ollie may not be the person for like you know for us to win the title but he's steady and it's a bit of a joke so we'll call him McFred and we'll, we'll talk about Pogba's hair yeah. and we'll say that you know people are laughing at Ronaldo being lazy but I mean, you are now basically I I feel like knowing you you're in angry mode about it <laughs> I'm not, well, I'm trying to keep you know keep a keep a level head on it but, but uh, before going off on a rant but there are so <laughs> many so many things that that he got wrong on that game you know he um he he got uh a sarcastic cheer when he brought Donny van der Beek on in the 80th minute after telling him to warm up in the 60th. So he warmed up for 20 minutes. And in that, that time, in that time, Rashford came on who hadn't really been doing much of a warm up. Yeah. Uh, then he took Fred off, brought, brought van der Beek on and uh, the, the crowd gave him the, the, a big sarcastic cheer and gave Donny van der Beek a massive cheer to be fair. I think every, all the fans want to see him get a chance. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's woeful. He's shockingly mismanaged him. Um, mm-hmm. There were points where I think we have got this idea that we can play out from the back and we can't, we're so bad at playing out from the back and uh, the City press, Liverpool press, just we're taking the ball out uh, off of us within our own third, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, third of the pitch. And when, when De Gea decided to stop doing it and boot it long, the crowd started cheering. Like it literally was a sarcastic cheer that, that obviously we cannot play the ball out from the back like he wants us to. You're so angry. Um, You've just smashed something over on your desk. Yeah. (laughs) I I have smashed me on a keyboard. Um, I think, so I I base, I was on a a stag do. We were in um, Stratford, in a a bar in Stratford watching it. And we had to leave, I think about 60 minutes. And up until that point, it was basically 
passing training for City, long oh. distance shooting training for City. Yeah. And we were all just sat there like, I mean, yeah. so we, we had, you know, Arsenal fan, Watford fan, me, a Chelsea fan there, and a United fan turned up and the United fan literally turned around to me and was like, I don't like watching them anymore. I'm gl- I, he said, I purposefully got here later so that I had to listen to it rather than watch it. Yeah. And I, I think mm-hmm. we're not going to go into the fact that Ollie, sorry, I, I interrupted you there, mate, but yeah. I, I think we could, again, we could talk about this for a, a long, long time. We, we went into a lot of detail last week about it. And I think the, the, the crux is always going to be for us. And I think this is a, a podcast wide stance now that Ollie needs to go and someone new needs to come in. Yeah. So yeah. if we ever I talk think... about United again, <laughs> that's our, that's our view. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm fully on the the thank you, Ollie. Legend as a player has come in, done the job yeah. that we needed him to do. Mm-hmm. The expectations this season after the signings that were made in the summer yeah. were that we would be about in a, a title challenge. Uh, and, you know, I'm not even going to go in on Gary Neville because what he said after the game was a disgrace. Uh, you know, he's talking about playing, getting through the season, uh, muddling through to the end of the season. We're only 11 games in. It's not like yeah. we can't, it's beyond the realm's possibility that we could you got, appoint what, 20, someone. 27 games left? 27 yeah, games. Exactly. And so, I mean, I'm not good at maths again, but, you know, that's that's a lot of points. Yeah. Um, and he, he just, he's saying, no, you know, because of because of uh, our previous record with Mourinho and, and Van Gaal, both of whom won trophies, by the way. Yes, the football wasn't uh, brilliant, um, but achieved somewhat more than uh, than Ollie did or has done. Um, because it's, that, it's a results we business, we shouldn't change it. Yeah, it's a results business, Ben. Like, at the end of the day, yeah. a United fan, I feel, would rather watch bad football and win trophies. Yeah. I mean, I I watched. I watched Chelsea win the Europa League final against Arsenal playing Saribol. And, and we were in a pub in the village I lived in at the time. And this was like with, a, with the supporters club that I'm a member of that I won't mention because I'm going to say some stuff I'm sure on this podcast that would get me in trouble with them. But we we all stood there and it's like 25 minutes in. And one of the guys just shouts out, go on then, play it around dangerously at the back. Because that's all we used to do. Yeah, yeah. But we won that, but we won it. And we had a really yeah. great evening. But yeah, anyway, that's it. I mean, just just to just go back to the game, you know, we had we had more shots on target at our own keeper than that we did at City's. We had four touches in the box <laughs> in the entire Stop game. It. Yeah, we did. They, they had sixty-seven passes. I think they, they put they strung together something like eight hundred plus passes, and we had like three hundred. They literally just kept the ball in the second half, and yeah. um, and you could physically see. Uh, like we we didn't have an answer. There was nothing mm. you could do. The the thing with playing the sort of the, the five at the back because he doesn't Ollie doesn't play two wing backs. He basically plays five people in a line across the back. Yeah, yeah. Sure, Wambasaka, uh, massively out of form. Maybe they're not wing. They're not wing backs. They're not. No. And um and and the moment and the idea was he set us out to contain contain City and try and get away with not a massive whipping. Um, yeah. You concede in the first. I don't know, whatever it was, eight minutes or whatever. Yeah. Your, your game plan goes straight out the window. Uh, it, it's, it's almost as if. Yeah. So I look at those two games, right? I look at the United game, sorry, the Liverpool game and the City game. And I think actually what he tried to do in the Liverpool game was go toe to toe with them. And he yeah. tried to do exactly the same as them. And he tried to yeah. replicate what they do. Whereas yeah. actually, when you've got players like Sancho, Rashford, Ronaldo, Cavani, in your attack, as well as, you know, Fernandes and people like that, like Martial and 
uh, Greenwood. Yeah. You've got really fast players and really technically gifted players. What yeah. and what what you could do is sit off, absorb some pressure, and then counter attack really fast. But yeah. he didn't do that. He tried to go toe to toe with a system he doesn't play. Then, <coughs> then in the last, uh, in the um, City game, sorry. Then he turns around and he tries to just absorb pressure, but with nothing going forward. Yeah, yeah. He he got the lineup massively wrong. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna try and play a counter-attacking game against uh, a, a team like City that just keep the ball for fun, you need your hardest workers on the pitch. So you need Lingard, yeah. you need Rashford. Greenwood isn't gonna isn't gonna run and track back like you would need someone to do it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think he's amazing, and I absolutely love Greenwood, um, but he's not that sort of player. Um, you know, starting with him and, and Sancho, yeah, another one, you spend 75 million, you can't fit him in the pit on the team. But he got, <laughs> yeah, if you've got Ronaldo that's not going to press, fine. He's scoring goals and he's saving our backsides a lot a lot of the time. You need people that work hard yeah. around him. And, and we just didn't have that. Well, um, the thing is, you've got Ronaldo, who's one of the best headers ever, by the way. And I do believe that. Like, we've seen <laughs> some of the headers that he scored. He, he jumps higher than I can look. Like, it's, it's just insane. At a point where you're playing City, where they're pushing on to you, you get that ball and you play it up to a centralised Ronaldo who can head it on to either of those players. Yeah. Play him like a like a target man. Yeah. Like I know that's not his job, and he's he's yeah. one of the best. Well, he, in my opinion, he's he's one of the two best players ever to play football. Him and Messi equally as yeah. good. Yeah. That's yeah. going to stir up some shit, by the way. When people listen to that back, they're equally yeah. as good. Just deal with <laughs> it. Um, just get it onto his head and knock it onto yeah. some fast and, runners. And, anyway, and that was... so I, I think I think this is the thing. We're always going to think. That Ollie's got to go. We're always going to think yes. that it, it's not yeah. in the right place. Um, I want to move on to some more results just quickly to run over them because okay. there are some very interesting results that happened at the weekend. Norwich beat Brentford and then Daniel Farker got sacked, which apparently had already been decided in the week. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Uh, and, and to be fair, I thought Nor- Norwich played really well. Um, mm. I, you know, they. Uh, they, you know, contained Brentford a lot. Brentford had a couple of chances, uh, but they took both their goals really well and um, and, yeah. and absolutely deserved it. And and almost felt sorry for for uh, their manager at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think it's poor timing. I think people will look at it and go that 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 was harsh. I just think it's poor timing. So that was one of the results. Um, a West London team drew one one with Burnley at the ground that Chelsea play at. We won't mention who that was, but. Um, I mean, you, you lot, from what I saw, you lot looked like you should have won. However, Burnley had a great chance towards the end, right? Do you know the funniest thing about this? Because So I didn't watch the game because it's three o'clock kickoff and I couldn't yeah. get to the game because I was at a stack, right? I looked on Twitter afterwards. Former Labour spin doctor Alistair Campbell absolutely tearing <laughs> Thomas Tuchel a new one, saying that he should have more respect. <laughs> I was just like, what are you doing? Um, uh, uh, Palace, we, we, Palace, got, Palace got another win. That's another yes. big thing. They got a win against yeah. Wolves. Um, yeah. Newcastle, from what I've seen, they were stolen. What could have been a win, um, but in the 92nd minute, the, the Brighton goalkeeper hacked them down. But then the so, big, so, the big news. Sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah. So with that, um, I can't remember. Was, was Karen Wilson? I can't think who it was. Uh, beat the keeper. The keeper. The keeper has touched him and subsequently got sent off at, at right decision. Yeah. He's kicked his own leg. So he's, he's obviously taken off balance and his leg is, is tripped over his own leg almost. But I mean, literally, you, 
you'd want to just get up rather than uh, you know and try and score because it was an open goal rather than sort of turn around to the ref and moan about being hacked down when when it's that late in the game. Um, yeah, I, it, they that was a that was a big talking point. We do need to talk about the Arsenal Watford uh, game. Did you see Arsenal's goal? Do we need to talk about that game? We do. Did you did you uh, did you see uh, Arsenal's goal that came um, from Watford playing the ball out? Yeah, and uh, Arsenal not giving it back to them. Yeah, I was very hungover at the time of Monty Ben. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember it now. I, the only thing I do remember about that game, if I'm being very honest, is Kucha or Kuka or whatever his yeah, name is. Kuku, yeah. I think he could be explained. He got the yellow card in the first half and the um, whoever was yeah. the commentator at the time turned around and went, he's the last person that you want to be on a yellow card during this game. And then he absolutely just takes out one yeah. of the... Uh, I think it was Laka. I can't remember who it was. Yeah. But, um... So, 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 just just for for sort of context, uh, Ben Foster, I thought played really well, saved the penalty. From, Unbelievably uh, good Adam in that Yang. game, I think. So so good. Uh, but what happened was um, uh, a player was injured. Uh, I think the last player was down. I can't remember. Can't remember. Uh, Watford played it out, sort of yeah. just inside sort of the line of their eighteen yard box. Uh, Arsenal took the throw on. Uh, didn't give it back. So it was a Watford player that was down and um, they were expecting uh, to get the ball back. Arsenal didn't give it back. Yeah. Um, it, it comes across, they play it around a bit. Uh, Ishmael Assar gets absolutely bodied by someone uh, from the Arsenal team. He goes down, it rolls around a little bit and then uh, Smith Rowe bends one in. It was a good goal from sort of the edge of the box. Um, oh, okay. So I'm actually, I'm really looking at the goal now. I remember the goal. Mm-hmm. I don't I think, think. I think watching like uh, match of the day and, and the goals reviews and stuff, they said it, it wasn't so much that they didn't give the ball back. Although you could argue that the Watford players were expecting it. Yeah, it was more that the 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 way Ishmael Assar was was taken out was absolutely a foul. I mean, so it wasn't, I like, it wasn't a shoulder barge, You just charged straight into him. I think this is. I think this is one of those where the position that it is, he's not giving the foul because the, the game's going on. And I, I remember, actually, I do remember this now. I spoke to yeah. uh, Tom about it, one of, our, one yeah. of my mates. So I think for me, if that's in the middle of the pitch, the ref definitely gives the foul because that's an uncontentious area. Whereas because it's in a lead up to a goal, I think the ref just sees it going on. And because of that, he leaves it to bar to make the decision. Which is just, uh, you know, for me, that's that's a misuse of VAR, and I think all a lot of refs are doing that. I actually I had a grassroots ref on Twitter block me the other day because, um, you know, the mischief. Yeah, well, basically, you know, remember the the red card in or the not red card in the fantastic West Ham Liverpool game where Creswell um, and granted oh, he, didn't, yes. he didn't mean to do it. Yeah, granted yeah. he did not mean to do it. He went yeah. in. He he kicked the he kicked the ball wrong. I think that's the problem. He was out of control. He kicks the ball on the top of the ball, which makes his leg slide up and into yeah. Henderson's knee. And he was like, oh, it's the point of contact that's the the issue. And I'm like, and he's like, basically, the point of contact is not in the right place for a red card. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, at what point does someone's stud have to go into your knee for it yeah. to not be a red card? And yeah. he, he blocked me because I basically said, not you again, you're worse than those pundits on TV. Anyway... <laughs> That aside, um, I think the Watford goal, uh, sorry, the Arsenal goal, you're right, probably was a foul. But I think the reason it wasn't given is because they left it to VAR. But because then it's not clear and obvious, yeah, you then get stuck. Yeah. The West Ham Liverpool game, yeah. before we move on to our what if of the week, that game was 
the only game that I missed the entirety of and the, probably the best game of the weekend. Did you yeah. see any of it at all? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, West Ham were absolutely superb, I thought. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, uh, I think Mikel uh, Antonio oh. is superb. Um, I think, I, I, I do think Liverpool missed the chance. Mane had a, had a great chance at the end of the game. Um, and headed it wide. Yeah, uh, I thought Trent's free kick was unbelievably good. Um, yeah, but I, ju- I just think you know Jared Bowen, uh, Mikel Antonio up front. I think Suchek and Rice were absolutely world class in midfield. Yeah, they're dangerous, um, aren't they? As a pair, oh, right? So good. You know, you know, um, there was a, I saw a picture. Uh, it was on Twitter. Of, Declan Rice is first for every possible metric you can think of in in the league for tackles, interceptions, uh, breaking yeah. from midfield. I mean, literally everything. He's uh, distance covering. He's you know I was never a massive massive fan of him. My God, I've changed my mind. He is absolutely wicked. Oh yeah, but you. This is what I mean. I think you're a massive fan of him because you've seen McFred. And you know what more you could have, right? Um, yeah, I, well, I actually, I told you a lie there. I did watch some of that West Ham Liverpool game. It's all coming back. Like I say, Sunday was a a blur of my life. Um, so I watched up until the point where that red card should have happened, and I actually switched over to watch the Albans versus. Uh, it was on Forest Green. It was it's St Albans versus Forest Green. Where St Albans won. Congratulations, St Albans. Shout out to St Albans. Um, but the West Ham game, I watched up until that point. The first goal, the Allison own goal, should have been a goal, shouldn't have been a goal. For people that didn't watch it, essentially what happens is Allison goes up to punch the ball. Bonner, I think it is, goes up as well, jumps with his arm up, and his arm is basically in the way of Allison's arm. And because of that, Allison says he couldn't get to the ball. Um, and then he punches it in by accident. What are your thoughts? But like for me, I don't know what I think on that yet. Before you tell me, because I might be in a bit contentious like, so, situation. So I think, um, I think, in other leagues, in European leagues, keepers are far more well protected than what they are in a Premiership. Really? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think you you can't com- you can't contest anything with a goalkeeper in in Syria, for example, or in Spain or something like that. Um, I, I don't. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. I just. I think really? Allison. Allison jumped late. I think he misjudged the, the flight of the ball, um, and you know it was it, it was a good goal. Uh, you know, fair play to you know the idea if you can get in and you can uh, disrupt the, the keeper's momentum, uh, you can distract him, you can you can put him off. Yeah, there are you know limitations to you know the extent you can do that. I just think that that West Ham. Obviously, practice that getting getting inside the uh, the keepers' sort of circle of area and uh, and yeah, I think it was absolutely fine. It's a good goal. Yeah. So for me, I think that actually the block that was made by Ogbonna was maybe a bit too much. I think if he just jumps for the ball, it's fine. But I think it's the way that his hand for me goes basically into almost the face of Allison. I think for me, that's like a. I think goalkeepers being protected, but goalkeepers have to come out and try and punch. And the problem I find is if two people are jumping together and both their shoulders are next to each other, that's one thing. But if you put your arm like that and then someone jumps into your arm, you know, I think that probably is where goalkeepers get protected. But anyway, I mean, apart from that, West Ham, from what I've heard, the, the rest of the game was fantastic. 
Liverpool obviously tried very hard to come back and couldn't. Um, and West Ham are doing a cracking job. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fair play, David Moyes. Exactly, which comes on to our next subject, which is international football. Now, I was sat there last night. I've got my in-laws over at the moment. They're down from Scotland. So on Sunday, we chilled and watched the football together. And then last night, we sat there and the father-in-law goes to me, uh, what football's on tonight? And I went, Dagenham and Redbridge versus Salford. <laughs> and he goes, what, no Monday night football? And I said, no, because this week is international week, which means we've got no football until the 20th that's of any real calibre. Um, so I want you to give me, Ben, in as succinct manner as possible, which I know for us is very difficult. Yeah, um, much so. Give me your, like, your elevator pitch for what your thoughts on international football is. Right. So if you'd have asked me at any other time, I would say I absolutely fundamentally can't stand international football um, outside of tournaments. Uh, qualifying games, I cannot remember the last time I was interested in watching a, a, yeah. in a, qualifier, a World Cup qualifier or a European qualifier, um, unless it's a game against... Yeah, one of the big sides in Europe, France, Germany, Spain, or maybe Brazil or Argentina, I generally have very, very little interest. Um, yeah. I think I think that's come from England qualifying for so many tournaments over the last sort of 10, uh, 20 years. Um, I just, it's just an expectation that England will qualify. Um, but, and I think... This is a really long hours, elevator, by the way, mate. Yeah, I, I know, I know. <laughs> um, just... My, my view is this is now the third international break in the season. We are only 11 games in. There's, one mm -hmm. every, there's, been, there's been an international break every month since the season started, and it's just too much. The, the international calendar is just wrong. Yeah. I think there's a lot about this at the moment, isn't there? So for, for me, my, my pitch on my thoughts on, on international football is essentially that it, is a broken system in a way that bigger teams play smaller teams far too often for those smaller teams to have any real chance of progression. And I think that I, I have some very interesting views on international football that we're going to get into um, in about five minutes. But um, before, before we do like the what ifs, as I was saying, I fundamentally do not like international qualifying games and, and international breaks. Right. But you know what team I support. You know how bad we've been. This break <laughs> could not have come at a better time for, for me because I genuinely don't get any joy out of watching my team at the moment. So, that bad. so what you're saying to me is that it's not a case that you hate international football. To the but you hate United to the extent that watching international football at the moment is better than United. I'll, I'll, I'll never hate United. I just do not want to watch us play at the moment. We are that bad. So this international, like I said, if you'd have asked me at any other time, I'd have said I hate international football. This mm. break has come at the, the right time for us because I just don't think anything is gonna uh, gonna improve at the United uh, on the United end. Absolutely in the short incredible. Term. So, Absolutely incredible. So. You and if for everyone who's watching, I'll give you the rundown of fixtures for England. So, you would rather watch Benjamin Asgard, you would rather watch 
England versus Albania than Manchester United play football at the moment. That's correct, isn't it? That is pretty much where I'm at at the moment. If it's if Oli is still at the wheel, then absolutely. And yeah. And then you'd rather watch England play San Marino at quarter to eight on a Monday night than watch Manchester United at the moment. Mate, to be honest, I'd rather get drunk out of my mind and not actually pay attention to anything than watch. Well, that, well, that, well that's your, that, at this point. But. Well, yeah, let's talk about your normal <laughs> Monday night, shall we? Let's talk about like the, you know, the perspective that um, you know you've, you've actually got your life together. So, <laughs> so I think for me, this this is the thing. I think that the whole system's a bit broken. So we're playing Albania and San Marino, whereas actually, a, a genuine opinion of mine is that we should probably have two different. Um, levels of qualifying so that these smaller teams can get a chance to play against big boys more often so especially when it comes to the world cup i think you should actually have a lot more seeded teams in groups like that so we shouldn't be playing san marino and albania to to, to get qualified for a two or a, a month tournament for me it should be a case that we're spending the next year playing teams like belgium italy france germany um even like you know switzerland austria those teams that are actually much more close. I mean, San Marino are never going to reach a World Cup. They're basically cannon fodder. It's not Fair will we beat them. Teams like that, yeah. Oh, yeah, um, Andorra. Like, it's not will we beat them, it's how much will we beat them by. So for me, I just think it should be structured in a way that a San Marino can get better. I'm not saying that they're ever going to be... The thing is, they're a very small country, so they're not going to really... If you think that England have 75,000... Uh, 75 million people... And we're trying to get a football team together based on that. And you've got to get the right amount of people that are decent. To find 22 players out of 75 million is hard enough as it is. Yeah. To find that out of 6,000 people, tough, right? So, yeah, absolutely. So here's the proposal. Here's the what if, Ben, for the week. Are you ready for the what if? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, just for everyone else's benefit, Ben and I have spoken about this a couple of times and we kind of have to hush ourselves a little bit because let's face it, it's fantastic content, guys. Um, <laughs> what if, Ben, international teams had an international squad that only played international football? 25 players, manager, backroom staff can only play international football, not club football. What that means in theory is international football is played regularly i.e every week so the teams are more consistent and it means we don't have these breaks in the premier league or the bundesliga or la liga syria etc so so it's a tough one on the one hand if there were no international breaks during the the season i would absolutely love it i'm not gonna lie i would much prefer it that way um however I'm still of the belief that that representing your country in the World Cup is the pinnacle of anyone's career. Winning the Champions League, yes. Winning the league, yes. Winning the FA Cup, yeah. Prestigious, I get it. I, it's, it's amazing. Club football, they're, they're, there's nothing better. But the pinnacle of a player's career should be, or in my opinion, uh, for me, is, is representing your country in the World Cup final. Um, and I think by limiting it and having 25 players that just play for their country play every week like like a normal league team do it just sort of it takes away that 
luster that it, it just cheapens it a little bit and doesn't make it as exciting um because you'll have watched you'll have watched them every week and then when a tournament comes round, you i mean I, I i fully jump on the bandwagon come world cup you know england shirts you know, flags i'm 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 fully on board um just to qualify and i'm not being able to watch england play every week would be the most depressing thing ever i think i think i just i would hate right. it Firstly, you've obviously never watched Harlow Town play football because that is the most depressing thing ever. Um, but I think, so the idea from this, so for everyone uh, for everyone at home, I thought of this idea. Apologies for that. Um, I think, Ben, the reason I thought of this is because international cricket is very different to domestic cricket. Yeah. Um, and you have contracted players for England at the different, you know, different levels, you know, uh, uh, T20 and one-day internationals and tests, right? So you have these different squads that are built out for that. You have background uh, staff and you can have Yorkshire, although maybe not Yorkshire at the moment, to be fair, they've been in a bit of hot bother, <laughs> haven't they? Yorkshire, they're going to get banned out of the cricket world. Name another county, Dean. You have Essex, for example, and they're playing one weekend. England are playing the same weekend and all of the Essex players that are contracted to England go to England. Now, I understand that football is a, a bigger commodity. It's a, a bigger thing in general um, than cricket. But let me expand on the idea. So the idea isn't just that you have that squad, but I think you restrict it down so that it's a, a young person's game, international football. So what that does for me as well, so I'm saying maybe set an age limit, 21, 23, whatever that looks like. Um, and I think the reason for that is that it allows you to then go on and have a, a very prestigious club career. And I'm not saying, by the way, that you can't play professional football until you get to that age. If you're not picked for the England squad, go and play your club football, right? Um, and then when the new contracts come up for England, maybe you're signed into England until you're 23 or whatever that age is. But I think for me, it does a couple of things. It, it allows people to grow Um as, as a player without having the, the club football stigma for their country. So you don't have a, oh, well, let's go away to our international team, come back to our club teams and learn a different style of football. So international football you'd find would be much more technical, I feel. I think at the moment, like you look at it and you go, okay, well, uh, Rhys James and Ben Shilwell are playing in a back five for Chelsea and then they might have to go into a back four for England. Yeah. So yeah. for me, it was limit the age, make it so that it is every week um, in the sense that it's, it's a league table, make it worldwide if you want to and have it so that you can play different, you know, um, continents at different times of the year and then bring it together and have a, a, a larger celebration of football like a World Cup. Yeah. And I think... I just Cool. I just think that uh, I, I get what you're saying, and uh, and I can I can see your, your points. I just think people would be sick to the back teeth of watching England every week, and it would completely um, undermine the 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 excitement of an international. Just think when we went to um, so so for everyone listening, we went to the Euros. We went to the Italy Spain semi final. And um, there were there were loads of England fans in there, but obviously the Spanish and, and the Italian fans, everyone was uh, inside the stadium. Everyone was singing uh, England songs and all the Italian Spanish fans were joining <laughs> in as well. And it was such a good laugh. It was a really great atmosphere. Yeah. Um, 
and I just think that you you wouldn't get that. No, if you if England played every I, week, I disagree. Because you have hundreds of thousands to millions of Liverpool fans, United fans, Chelsea fans, Arsenal fans. From from my point of view, if you had a team, it, it's almost. I think actually, it would probably bring football fans closer together in general about England because it's not a case that you're going, oh well, England. Are, why didn't my clubs play get in there? And I don't want like I mean, who is it? I was listening to someone the other day. What did they? They said somebody they didn't want someone to go to the England camp. I think it was like Smith Rowe or Saka or someone. They were like, don't send them away to to travel to San Marino for, you know, for a, a week. Like keep him yeah. in the, the training ground, right? I think for me, can you imagine a situation where you go, okay, well, I'm an Everton fan. I hate Liverpool, but you know what? We can watch England together. Like and, and it's it's a it's a spectacle that England then becomes a very well celebrated um, you know, sort of event. And for me as well, I, I think it was the sense that international football does have a, a stigma attached to it the older you get. When you're younger, I remember, you know, every England qualifier was so exciting for me. You know, I mean, your qualifiers, Ben, would have been, like the, the early days for you would have been, what, late 80s watching England as a, as a proper kid? Yeah, around that very, yeah, late 80s, yeah. early 90s, yeah. So you would have had like uh, what Tony Adams and oh yeah Euro '96 was was your peak was best, best tournaments best tournaments um, but yeah but but again it, it, I couldn't tell you really many of the results for the qualifying fixtures that led up I mean to be fair Euro because of the level we didn't have we didn't have to qualify because we were the hosts but um, but it's because of the but, level Ben though isn't it it's because you're playing San Marino and Macedonia and those sort of teams. If you if we if the lead up now if you and actually maybe it's just a case that we don't need to change what I'm saying although I do think adding uh, like a you've got like the Toulon tournament and stuff like that I think you leave international football at a, a lower age limit and you make it more accessible for people to watch that's my only opinion but well, I think a if bit, you look a bit at like the a bit like the Olympics where it's like under 23s and maybe one or two players that yeah, are overaged exactly and imagine if you were to mix in say you had like say you could have 25 people in your squad 25 and then five of them could be overage players and and imagine some of the players that you might have had come through there that could have been more experienced, you know, post 30, for example, they're bringing their experience to that team. They're not going to play much at, at their club level because they're a bit shot, but actually they can come into their, their international team and they can coach. And actually I think that would, if you imagine you've got five players that are now experienced players playing with young players, you also get this like coaching element to it as well. You know, you're almost teaching them how to coach. So it's sort of a two birds, one stone thing for that, because let's face it, young English coaches are few and far between at the moment. You know, yeah, Eddie Howe has just signed for, for Newcastle. Brendan Rodgers Gra- is British, Graham but Potter. no longer young. <laughs> yeah, Graham Potter's Graham in Potter's there. Is Northern Irish? Is he, he English? I don't know. I'm pretty sure Graham Potter. I mean, Graham yeah. Potter, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's English, but, you know, yeah. that might just be the fact that he's always been, uh, for me, on a, an English team, well, apart from I think he was at Swansea, which is Welsh. But, you know, that's just geography for you, mate. I think <laughs> the thing is, I think the thing is here for me, I, I just think if you can change it up a bit to what it is currently, because I don't want to watch San Marino play England. 
I want I want to watch San Marino play Andorra and maybe snatch a win every now and then. I want to watch England get beaten by the rest of the lot, you know. But I want I want to watch them play Italy and Germany and stuff yeah. because yeah. so I, I Ben wasn't at this game because uh, his wife wouldn't let him go. But me and our friend Jack went to the Denmark England semi final, and it was honestly playing Denmark was one of the toughest games I've ever seen England play because of the, the tension that you had. I mean, you had an atmosphere in the stadium that very quickly went from, you know, football's coming home to, well, football might not come home this year again. <laughs> and it, it, you felt this like tension in the air. But I think if you had that as a nation all the time, as opposed to just every two years, I, 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 th- I think it would be better. So what my proposal is, and I think what we should do from now on, because we didn't do this last week, we kind of just left it on a, an hour and a half long tangent, didn't we, right? I think what we should do is, okay, what if, and then big positive or big negative. For me, I think if you were to contract people to their international team and restructure it in a way that we're playing more frequently without risking time for the Premier League, I'd say that's a massive positive. Whereas I would argue against that by saying if England were playing every single weekend, I would I don't think I would be as uh, involved in their games. Uh, and I think a lot of fans would, would feel the same. And I think it would inf- affect any of the big tournaments we play. So for me, massive negative. We're going to so, agree to disagree on this one. We'll agree to disagree. For everyone watching on YouTube, put down in the comments what you think about my crazy idea and if you do agree with me let me know and if you don't agree with me then just hit the like button and subscribe (laughs) and and if you're listening on spotify head over to youtube um where you can add that into the comments down below okay so um i wanted to move on to our mvp and our red card of the week and I think what we're probably going to do here, if I'm honest, is go back a bit and talk about the week, the bits that we missed out or rushed through at the start of this because we were both petrified that we were going to talk for another hour and a half and we'd lose the 100 listeners that we have gained in the last week, which we're very thankful for, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So I honestly haven't gone through and thought about this very much. So if you could go first, mate. Not a problem. So um, I think we agreed we'd do MVP first and then who gets the red card to... to we'll leave, on a, we'll leave on a sour note. Yeah, we'll always yeah, leave absolutely. on a sour note. Yeah. yeah. So um, I thought there were a couple of people that uh, I was looking at for my MVP of the week. Mm-hmm. I thought last week I went with, uh, with David Moyes and went for a coach. I thought this week I'm definitely going for a player. Yeah. Um, I thought Ben Foster was superb. As I've already said, um, he pulled, not only did he save a penalty against Birmingham, he pulled off some great saves. I yep. thought Adam Armstrong at Southampton scored a worldie and I thought he played superb. Um, uh, if I was going for a coach, I'd have probably gone for Arteta. I think he's turned it around yeah. massively at Arsenal Big this style. season. Big style. You know, after they lost the first three games, uh, they uh, conceded like nine or something. They hadn't, uh, Then they got the international rating after that. He's, they, they've not lost the game. Yeah. Um, but my MVP of the week came from the Manchester derby. It was Joao Cancelo, who I think is the best left-back in the league by some distance. Do us all a favour, Ben. Say that man's name again. 
Joao Cancelo. Joao Cancelo. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's I think it's Joao Cancelo. Well, and it, I'm also pretty and I know what you've said is mad because I'm pretty sure he's a right back playing at left back. Regardless, I mean, he put in he put in the first cross uh, that they scored from, which was uh, by his. Uh, Deflection went in, was with his left foot. Uh, the second one was with his right foot. He curled it right. In. He is. He was so. He was man of the match. In, in fact, in the game, he got man of the match. He was absolutely superb. And um, I just think that he is so such a good left, such a good left. I'm, so I'm actually going to have to bollock you further, Ben, because what you've just said, and I really hope that the quote I've got in my head that what you just said is correct. You said that Jawal Cancelo is the best left back in the Premier League. Yeah. Bear with me whilst I list you the ones that are much better than him in terms of being a left back. You're going to be wrong, so... Andy Robertson, better. Cancelo's better. Kieran Tierney, better. Cancelo's better. Chilwell, better. Cancelo's much better. He's not even a left back. How many times have you seen City play this season? Well, enough times to know that he uh, how many times absolutely destroyed us. Which games? He was good in that one game. He was good in that game. Don't even no. He has been superb this season. No, he he's a good player. I don't think he's the best left back in the league. I think what he has done is after uh, Benjamin Mendy. I don't think you can say his name louder anymore, can you? That's as much as you can say. No, after he no. spent four years being injured and then went to prison for alleged things. Did um, you, did, just. On that, did you see um, in the Champions League where the interviewer asked uh, yeah. Kyle Walker uh, yeah. about Bernard Mendy? And he went, "He's a PSG, isn't he?" He's a PSG, isn't he? <laughs> Bernard Mendy. I think he thought. So I've seen people say that they think that that was him going like trying to like forget that um, Benjamin Mendy exists. I yeah. think what he actually thought was Furland Mendy, which is what they were yeah. trying to say. Yeah. Um, who I think also plays for Real Madrid anyway. Um, Cancelo was a fan, he's a fantastic player, he's a good wing back. I don't think you can say he's the best left back in the league and oh, still have any credibility. Oh, rubbish, of course, but you can. I, I respect you, um, sort of going with him for MVP. I am going to throw out mine and say that my MVP this week is Daniel Farker because he got Norwich City a win and then got sacked and held his head high. Um, He has worked with a limited budget and with limited players. If you think they got promoted three seasons ago, spent a season up, then down, now they're back up, and Timu Puki is still there and still scoring goals for them. Um, He's kept the core of the, the team right there. He might have lost the majority of his games in the Premier League, he won the majority of games of the championship. I don't think he was financially supported enough. But for me, he's the MVP because, number one, he got Norwich a win. And I don't think anyone thought they were going to win this season. I certainly didn't think he was going to get a win this season. They also got a win against Brentford away. So for me, Brentford have been one of the stars of the season. And um, the Brentford Community Stadium has been like a fortress for them. Um, but even from when they beat Arsenal the first game of the season, right? I think Daniel Farker can go now, hold his head high, and let's face it, probably walk into the Aston Villa job because Aston Villa are about as good as Norwich City. Yeah, I, I mean, that's. Uh, I think you've gone for the sympathy vote there. I, I think I'm a little bit more 
cruel in the sense that I don't think he he deserved it. He got a win. He's oh, but I just forgot you hate Norwich, don't you? No, you say I hate I, Bournemouth, I hate Norwich. I don't hate Norwich at all. <laughs> you um, do. You, I think you've just gone for the sympathy vote there for a guy that's won one game and has proven to be quite out of his depth. At, yeah, do you know uh, what I've done? Level. I've done no homework on him. I got very drunk on Saturday. I had a bad back on Sunday. I went to my chiropractor yesterday, and today. I've been working hard and putting together a tank for a snake. So do you know what? I looked at it and I went, out of everything that's there, I could go David Moyes, but he had it last week. And let's face it, we can't give West Ham that much success because they don't deserve it. I could have gone with uh, Conte because Spurs got a clean sheet. But quite frankly, I think Conte is going to foul Spurs. And I could have gone with, um, with Arteta as well because I think what has happened at Arsenal in the last two months is absolutely out of this world. I had an argument with a guy on Twitter. This is a theme, by the way, everyone, um, that I do have a lot of arguments with people on Twitter. I'm at D-E-A-U-L-E-Y, by the way, D-E-A-U-L-E, if you want to find those arguments. I basically said, if Arsenal carry on playing like they did for the first three games of the season, they will get relegated this season. And I meant it. And I still mean it. If they'd have carried on playing like that, they would. Arteta's done something. Aubameyang has, has done something where they changed. So, yes, I didn't prepare very well, Ben. You are right. I did go for a sympathy vote. But frankly, I don't think he's been given the ammunition to fire the gun in the Premier League. We've, we've spoken about Norwich at length uh, before and how I feel, you know, and it will be something we probably discuss again uh, in another oh, podcast. Oh, mate, let's do it next week. Okay, all right, we'll, we'll, that'll be our what if then, or, or whatever. Um, but yes, we've, we've yeah. spoken about Norwich before, and uh, you know my, my feelings on it. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. Like I said, yeah, I think you've done the we sympathy will. vote there, but you know, you're right, he can leave, <laughs> he can hold his head high, and he, he will probably walk into another uh, uh, job at pr- perhaps a slightly bigger level than, than Norwich. Whether that's Aston Villa, I think Gerard might be going there. That's another, another discussion to have. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think he'll um, he'll he'll end up going somewhere else. Um, and okay, and, yeah. Red card of the week. So there was a lot. Um, so I I could list out the entire Man United defense. That <laughs> um, I could. Uh, I thought Mason Holgate's challenge in the Everton game that he got a red for was a disgrace. Yeah, so I thought he oh, he got a red card anyway. Um, I thought Allison conceding two two uh, set piece goals, two corners that looped over him. Uh, yeah, Zuma's goal in West Ham game was a good one. Yeah, um, the Spurs attack was another one. I thought they've not had a shot on target in <laughs> in over four hours. No, that's got, not real, is it? Really? Yeah, yeah. Over four hours, they've not had a shot on target. Four hours. Um, obviously, I could have said Ollie. I, you know. Gary Neville, because you know, I think he he needs he needs calling out because of his comments oh, after the game. Mate, don't even get us involved with uh, giving pundits red cards because I haven't got enough red cards, mate. No, well, this is it. So when it came down to it, I thought the one person that needs to get the red card of the week is Harry, eighty million pounds centre back Maguire. Oh, no. Yeah. Now uh, let's let's have a think. He came back. He got pushed, rushed back from injury. Early yeah. against Leicester was at right. fault for two of the goals. He'd had one hour on the training pitch. Now this is Ollie's fault. I, I accept. Um, he's been at fault. I think they said uh, 
after the game uh, against City. He's been at fault for 10 of the 11 goals we've conceded since he's come back. Um, in what now, way, though? Like not clearing his line, losing the ball, being pushed off. Yeah, Vardy and Inacio, uh, Inacio had um, an absolute field day against him. Did you say Vardy and in my nachos? <laughs> Nacho. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, he has been absolutely shocking. He came out after the game and said he didn't, uh, he said the team and himself lacked belief. Yeah. which surprised uh, Ollie when when Ollie was uh, asked about that. He said that he thinks that the captaincy and the pressure of being the captain at Man United is too much for him. It's another argument he shouldn't have been given it in the first wait, place. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, are we? Are, is that an actual quote or is that paraphrasing? It's, it, it's paraphrasing. It's not an actual quote, but he's, he says he's feeling the pressure of, of leading the team. He's not an organiser. Wow. He's he's just been, he's been in woeful form. And... Um, it's, 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 it's a weird, it's a very strange appointment if it's, if it's an appointment as a, as a captain for me because it's it's almost yeah. like, oh, he's a, he's a strong centre-back. I know you don't think he's strong. He's a strong centre-back. We'll give him the captaincy, he'll, he'll lead from the back. Yeah. Whereas actually you've got players like De Gea, De Gea should realistically, based on longevity, be the... Uh, yeah, yeah but, so, um, it's, it's not even that. I don't even. I don't think just because you've been there the longest, you deserve to be the captain. It's the person that does the most talking, the person that leads by example, and in that case, it puts in the most effort. Yeah, you'd probably argue Bruno or Ronaldo should be, should well, be the captain. I mean, there's two different but, types of captain, isn't there? Lead from the yeah, front or chat a lot. Yeah, yeah. But um, but Harry Maguire is. You got to he's a world record fee for a centre back. He is not a top five in the world centre-back. There's so, just no... So you're, going with the, so you're going with the fridge? My red card of the week is Slabhead, 50p Ed, drinks the vodka, drinks the Jaeger, his head's absolutely massive, Harry <laughs> Maguire. So you're going Harry Maguire. Now, yeah. whilst you've been saying that, and, and that was, by the way, a fantastic tirade. Thank you. Pleasure. Um, I've been thinking about what what is the worst thing that I've seen this week? And I think that's for me how I'm going to judge this week. And the reason why it's why I really laughed when you actually said Maguire is mine's Eric Bailly <laughs> for the own goal, okay. the own goal in that first half against City. Because okay. realistically, I know that there's like a bit of last ditch defending that he's doing, but that is not a last ditch defending situation for me. Not to be charging in like he did. And certainly not to the extent that that's, that's in the seventh minute of the game. Um, so this is not like a red card. Uh, yours feels like a longevity. Harry's been rubbish for a long time. And this is a culmination of that. Yeah. For me, it's that one moment set the scene that the City was just going to absolutely be rampant. Um, I think maybe yeah, it, I might, it might have saved you from an absolute rollicking, to be honest, because... I maybe being one nil down, they were just toying with you, and they were sort of because it did seem like that at some point. We'll just crack a we shot lay, anyway. We didn't, we didn't lay a glove on them. No, exactly. For about but, sixty minutes, we didn't, didn't get it, near them. Exactly, but for me, I think that was such a. People will argue like he's running back towards his goal. He's got to do it. It's an unlucky deflection and all this kind of stuff. But for me, as a defender, that's that's a last ditch challenge that doesn't need to be last ditch. I think again, the, this comes back to my regard. This is Maguire. If he's the captain, the leader, the organizer at the back, he should be talking. He should be telling, mm-hmm. telling Bailey not to commit himself. And I think, uh, I think it's harsh because uh, I don't think he's, he can tell someone not to commit himself there. I don't think he, as he's 
Or is he, as yeah. he's sliding in, you sort of shout, so, oh, don't do it. If you, if you th- it, let's, let's think about it. So, so that first goal, Wan-Bissaka was absolutely miles out of position. He, he'd gone yeah. so far forward. Foden and Cancelo did a two-on-one on him. Ciao well, Cancelo. Uh, that's right. Um, <laughs> Bruno Fernandes wasn't sprinting across to stop the cross. So that's one of the things we like. We don't stop crosses getting into the box. Uh, Bruno was jogging towards Cancelo. He, he crossed yeah. it in. And at that point, you know De Gea is going to be rooted to his line. You... Yeah. Expect you expect your captain to to talk to lead to to tell uh, the defenders where to be and what to do. He's obviously not said anything. Yeah. Guy, he's, guy, he's stuck his foot out. He's got in. Um, I think it's I think it's harsh because I think it's only his second game back. He played the first game back he played was against um, was against Sorry. Atalanta where he was superb. Um, and then, yeah, it's only his second ben, game. I don't ben, think he's, I he, think you're harsh. Ben, he's an international footballer. He is he's playing for Manchester United, one of the greatest clubs in the world until very, very recently. He, this, this is this is he, a club where, where centre-backs go to die. Lindelof, Jones, you know, let's, let's not be fair. He, it, it's not, I don't think you should, and I, I mean this genuinely, you should never use an excuse for a professional footballer when he's only had one game back because that is... For me, that tackle is a panic. That's him being unorganised. Granted, there are people around him that should be making those sort of calls. But also, Maguire's captain. Well, if Maguire's not being a good captain, you take it upon yourself to not throw your legs into it and to not make that last ditch. He's intelligent enough to know that he shouldn't be making a challenge like that there. Or, mate, stay on your feet. If he stays on his feet, there's a whole body in the way to basically, you know, He's, he's dived in, in and this is why I think it's the big for me why this is the biggest moment of that game because it's seven minutes in and you set the tone automatically by doing that that we are panicking immediately it sets the tone to see that you can do what you want to us today and and we'll just let you you know you can just come in again and I know I got feedback on that this is one of my one of their favorite lines from the previous pod but essentially Manchester United allowed Man City to come in pull their pants down at Old Trafford and wiggle stuff about a bit. And that is exactly what happened again. And if United don't stop people coming into their house and pulling their trousers down, then quite frankly, they're going to end up with a smack bottom. That, Ben, is not only the best way to end a podcast, but it is the quote of the week. (laughs) I think you're you're right. I I mean, like I said, I could have given the entire Man United defence the red card of the week. But you pick by, I think, Maguire. Does it have to not just always? Fine. Does it not just have to sit with Ollie or the board for not yeah, sacking him? It does. I mean, not being funny. Have a little bit of pride, Ollie. Like, leave. Find someone else. Like, it would be so. A very interesting thing that uh, Rio Ferdinand said was basically that um, it was it was time to go. Essentially, yeah, yeah. Time to pass the baton on. He's he came in and he'll forever be loved for for his. Uh, what he did as a player and what he gave to the club. He came in after Mourinho and it was all toxic. He turned things around. But I think every United fan would have, would have wanted him to have succeeded, but knew that it, that it was limited. And, and yes, it is absolutely time to go. Time to go. And I don't think we can end the podcast on this again, but I think we're safe to say that Ollie should be out. He should. It's time to go. Ollie out. Right. That's all from us this week. Um, like, subscribe, wherever you are. Follow, reshare, re-reshare. Um, we'll be back next week to talk about why Ben thinks that 
Norwich should be banned from the Premier League and Fulham should be in there with them. We'll see you then, guys. <laughs> <laughs>